When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, in the beginning, the NFL was not as popular. Television changed all that, but it's about when you play. Two words, prime time. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr., All right, unlike last week, I have papers again. (laughs) You know the open NFL historians, this show is not for you. But if you can listen, you know, go ahead and listen. You can listen if you want to. But this show isn't necessarily for you. It's for those who don't know as much. See, we are here to enlighten. We're basic, okay? But please, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always here to learn. Let's do it together. It's the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. And this show is presented by... Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Check us all out on bellyupsports.com. You can listen to this show. Check us out as well as others on Spreaker, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all of those great podcasting platforms. We even have shows on YouTube. I will join them eventually. So, all right, getting right to the point. Um, this weekend. This past Saturday was 9-11. And just to, you know, give my little spiel, because I didn't do it last week. Um, I had watched all week long. I took a couple of days. My wife, she would not watch it. But remembering that day and September 11th, 2001, the World Trade Center terrorist attack. The, the planes being flown into the buildings, the plane being flown into the Pentagon. And thank God, you know, for those heroes on Flight 93, United Flight 93, that overtook that plane that was supposed to be flown into the, I believe it was the, the, the Capitol. Um, God bless all of those families that were affected. I mean, it's still 20 years later. It's not something that's ever going to go away. Never forget, never forget. I watched a a documentary, a documentary by National Geographic called 9-11, One Day in America. And they had all kinds of docs on left and right. I believe they probably played Flight 93, the movie. I'll never watch that again. That was that was um that got to me. But I remember that day and where I was, FedEx man, 
and I just downtown Nashville just got off the exit on my way to the area, the south side of downtown that I did at the time back in 2001 and getting off the interstate. And back then we had these computers in our trucks called dad's units. And in those computers, we got our messages and things like that. And one of my friends, Kim, Kim Freeman, giving her all the credit, she actually put a message out basically saying someone has flown a plane into the World Trade Center, into one of the buildings. And of course, it was two planes, you know, in a matter of what, another hour and, and, and some change. And I still remember going into this place called We Make Tapes. And it was one of my first stops and they were, everybody was watching television. It, it just, the world stopped. Okay. And just seeing the image, when I went in there to make a delivery, I mean, I'm shook after this. And I didn't know how serious it was until I walked into that place, saw it on the news and I'm seeing people jumping out of the windows. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I was shocked. But even years later after that day, I didn't really realize because I don't like bad news and I don't watch the news a lot. But not realizing everything that transpired that day, the magnitude of everything that happened. My basic thing was, OK, you had people that died on these planes and people that died in the buildings. Of course, the buildings came down. When I watched this documentary, One Day in America is six parts to it. You got to see firsthand what happened and you're not seeing anything that was, you know, you're not seeing anything that was too um, graphic, but you did get some really graphic uh, descriptions of things. And the people the, the thing that got me the most going back to that day and then watching it on the, on the television. Yes, you saw the people fall and you, you didn't see the end. You saw the people fall out of the windows. They're trying, it's either burn up or jump out of the window and end it quickly. And there was a, uh, the fireman that they highlighted, I forget what the, the gentleman's name is, and he was telling his story. They had many interviews. Please bear with me. I know this is an NFL podcast, history podcast, but just wrapping it up. They had, you know, the cameras are inside and they're, you know, there's, there's a cameraman that are inside. And I think they had firsthand cameras that, you know, like police cams, I think, too. But they had firsthand cameras that were inside the building. And there's the if you if you know anything about the way the World Trade Center, the buildings were positioned, you had kind of like, I guess you could say like a you have the buildings and then the area that they were standing in, there was like a platform or. Uh, um, some kind of um, platform that was over them, over the top of them. And you're hearing this every now and then, and glass breaking and, and just, it was the people that were jumping out of the buildings, hitting the roof where the firemen were down on the ground floor. That was eerie. And just thinking about that, that just, that messed me up. Um, but, it gave me a new respect for and knowing that knowing a lot of the things that happened, but it gave me a new respect for it. So thank you to all firefighters and policemen and military. Thank you for everything that you do. And even the, those who perished, um, 
thank God for those who, who did not, but for those who perished, I mean, it, God had those people in place for a reason. And they a lot of lives were saved. For every story of tragedy, there were a lot of stories of people being saved, and that will never be forgotten. And so, um, kind of hard transition from that. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, it was it was great honoring. I mean, I went to church, had to sing Sunday. I wore my New York Yankees hat uh, and had my you know my Manhattan T-shirt that I that I wore. You know, um, God, I've got to get to New York. <laughs> I, I still have to. All right, so all right, hard transition, hard left turn. Now it's time for a little something I do during the entire NFL season. The a quick hit it and quit it synopsis of each and every game for each and every week all the way through the Super Bowl. It's back, the rundown. Opening night on Thursday night. The Cowboys look good, and Tom Brady still got it. New coach, same Falcons. The, the Eagles, they put it on Atlanta, and Brother Smith, who left the Tennessee Titans as the Offensive coordinator to become the head coach. It's just the first week. Okay, just bear with me. It's the first week, so we're not putting anything, stamping anybody on the forehead. But Devontae Smith's first catch is an eagle. It was a touchdown. Jalen Hurts, he looked really good. Shout out to Ulysses Gilbert III with the block punt for a touchdown as the Pittsburgh Steelers at the defense outscored Buffalo 23-6 in the second half to get the win. My apologies to my man, Kenny Johnson. I love you, my brother. The Pittsburgh offense, though, it does need work. Bills fans, it's week one. The Minnesota Vikings made it interesting as the Cincinnati Bengals tried to give it away, but Joe Burrow was big in overtime. I, I love that dude. I know I'm a Steelers fan, but I, I love Joe Burrow. I really do. And since, basically, they, they, they held on for that win. And speaking of holding on, Jamar Chase held on to five receptions for 100 yards on Sunday. As, and he scored his first touchdown. By the way, Jamar, Joe, that is Moss, Tyler Shelvin, Coach O really misses you guys in Baton Rouge. Ugh, clock is ticking. Oh, by the way, the San Francisco 49ers also held on in Detroit. And that game probably would have ended earlier had Debo Samuel not coughed, off the, coughed up the football <coughs> in the fourth quarter. Trey Lance's first pass was a touchdown. That was cool. Um, and, but the clear, cu uh, clear cut start is Jimmy Garoppolo for now. It was a good showing by the Detroit Lions, who I was thinking would surely roll over. By the way, they also lost their first-round pick from 2020, third pick in the draft, Jeff Okuda, to a blown Achilles. Ouch. Get well, man. As for the rest of the NFC uh, North, you might want to check your kneecaps for teeth marks. Tennessee Titans fans, your turn. Please. Do not jump off the Jefferson Street Bridge. But for the love of all things holy, Taylor Lewan, you did get pantsed in front of the world on Sunday. Ryan Tannehill, he got sacked six times. Chandler Jones had five of them on Lewan's watch, the most in NFL history in an opening day game by a single player. At least he knows it. Just check his Twitter feed. Titans defense, now it's your turn. Colin Murray, he threw... And he, he basically accounted for five touchdowns on Sunday. Four through the air, one on the ground. Those DBs, they couldn't cover a bed with a sheet. It's still early, though. I'm trying to give y'all some hope. It was the Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett show in Indianapolis. Russell, dangerous. 
He goes for four touchdowns. Tyler scores twice. He has 100 yards. That was good for fantasy football owners. But somebody needs to get the memo to Carson Wentz that throwing to the running backs all the time, check it down, it's not going to work. You got to get the ball down the field, bro. Great game in Washington. And I'm especially proud of my fantasy players, and y'all hear about that from time to time. Keenan Allen being one of them. Fitzmagic went down with the hip injury. He's gone, what, six to eight weeks? I wonder if he'll come back at all. But the L.A. Chargers, they got the 20-16 win over the team, but that was not the story. It was the sewage pipe that burst on top of the fans during the game. That was nasty. It wasn't a great day for either the New York teams, and the New York Jets were no exception as former Jets Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson got their revenge against their old team. Zach Wilson, Darnold's replacement. He wasn't terrible, but you have to get baptized at some point. And Wilson got baptized six times by the Panthers' defense sacks. Mark Ingram is still running. Tyrod Taylor is still spinning it. And they led the Texans to a 37-21 win, excuse me, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. By the way, Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, Welcome. Although it was great to see Lawrence toss three touchdown passes, he did have three picks in his first game, but they do have a lot of work to do. To be perfectly honest, I don't think Urban Meyer is going to stick around very long. I don't think he can take it. He's used to winning. Uh, He'll end up either back on the Fox college football set or he'll probably most likely end up on a sideline somewhere. Maybe USC? Dolphins Patriots was very interesting. Tua and the Fish get the one-point win against his old Alabama backup in Foxborough. Mac Jones, by the way, he is real. Oh, and I thought it was pretty cool seeing the first touchdown hookup between two teammates, tied teammates, Tagovailoa and Jalen Waddle. More on another Bama receiver later. Meanwhile, in Jacksonville, what in the name of Alex Trebek is going on here? The New Orleans Saints hosted the Green Bay Packers in Jacksonville because of Hurricane Ida, right? The Packers did not score any touchdowns. They lost 38-3. That's the worst loss of Aaron Rodgers' career. When's the last time that Aaron Rodgers didn't throw a touchdown pass in the game? Jameis Winston throws five touchdowns, though. And according to a tweet on Sunday by Cal Brandt, Winston is the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era to throw five touchdowns and throw for fewer than 150 yards. Well, he actually had 150 yards. It's possible that Aaron Rodgers could be hosting Jeopardy after the season is over. Just possible. Just possible. To New York, the Broncos have a quarterback. I'm not saying that Teddy Bridgewater is the franchise, but they have a competent quarterback. He made plays when they needed it the most. All right. And I know it was the New York Giants. But you haven't seen that in the last couple of years from a Broncos quarterback. New York Giants, however, they will be looking for a new one eventually. I don't know who remembers Dave Brown, but I keep wanting to call Daniel Jones Dave Brown. But my dude, you've got to stop turning the football over. They also have to get Saquon Barkley going. 26 yards on the ground is not going to cut it. Not going to cut it. Sunday, you know, you notice all the great Alabama Players, in particular the receivers, stepped up their games in week one. But prayers up for Jerry Judy. Thank God he suffered just an ankle sprain. I thought it was broke. I saw the play, and I, I thought I was like, oh, he, it's broke. Either his knee is toe up or his ankle is broke. 
high ankle sprain. We'll see how fast he heals. Two different outcomes for the State Farm twins, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Worked out a little bit different for Patrick. By the way, I thank God that I selected Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Let's go, Cheetah, with my first two picks in fantasy. The Kansas City defense, they have to have Tyran Matthew, though. The Browns are good. Baker Mayfield is good. Cleveland led 22-10 at the half. Then their punter, they, he dropped a snap. Chris Jones was wearing Mayfield like a winter coat. And the Chiefs outscored Cleveland 23-7 in the second half. Baker tried to throw that last pass away. I know what he was trying to do, but Sorensen got him by the ankles. Oh, well, I'm a Steelers fan. I don't feel sorry for you. Sorry. Sunday Night Football, though, Drew Brees. Nice hair, by the way. I might need to call both his and Brian Erlacher's guy. My stuff is thinning. Let me see what they can do for me. I was impressed with the Rams on Sunday night. And if... Matt Stafford, to me, I mean, this is the perfect team and the perfect coach to be a part of, the perfect team to be a part of. When you finally have a defense, you finally have a great offensive coach, and you finally have, well, not, I was going to say weapons, but he did have a Hall of Fame wide receiver in Megatron. You know, but I do have some hope for the Chicago Bears on that other sideline. I'll just leave it right there, though. No disrespect to Andy Dalton and what he said, what, at the beginning of the season, it's my time. Dude, you are in your 11th year on your third team, and the clock is ticking. Two words for you, bro. Justin Fields. To cap off the week, the first week with a little R&R, Raiders and Ravens on Monday Night Football. The 52nd season of Monday Night Football, by the way, kicked off. If you missed that game, you missed a good one. Went down to the wire, and it was so funny seeing the end of that game when the Raiders tied it right go in you 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 well the ravens tied it towards the end but the the <laughs> raiders fans thought the game was over i think it was his name edwards caught the 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 last supposed touchdown pass but his knee was down two plays later willie sneed right off his hands off the helmet of a ravens defender and then into the hands of another ravens defensive back for a pick they thought that they was winning oh here we go again nope nope never fear I, though, it was more fantasy implication for me. I was not rooting for the Baltimore Ravens. Glad they lost. And, you know, the Raiders, okay, well, y'all won. But I needed Lamar Jackson to give me 10 more points, and he would have done it, whether by air or ground. He would have done it, and he never got the ball back. Never got the ball back. And then Zay Jones, he catches the touchdown pass at the end of the, end of the game. From uh, from Dave from from uh, from Carr and that was it. I turned my phone off and I'm like crap. Well, I lost, I won one game, but my other fancy team. Yeah, I have Lamar Jackson as my starting quarterback. And uh, thank you. Oh, my man. I, I have to shout out my man before I go go to a quick break. Uh, I got a Ravens friend on my job, and he asked me this morning. Why did y'all send us that imposter? Yes, Alejandro Villanueva is now the right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, the longtime tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Crosby for the Raiders wore him out. All right, so I've gone a little bit long. We have to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, looking back on the history of professional football, we know that it was really put on the map because of television contracts. One thing football isn't is boring. Do you have your boring games? Of course you do. But football has become so visually easy on the eyes. Who saw opening night on Thursday? Cowboys, Buccaneers, that game had everything except a decent running game. But we have established in the past that in 1982, after Super Bowl 16, when the NFL signed television contracts with all three major networks at the time, CBS, ABC, and NBC, that put the NFL on the map for good. But questions I had researching and studying for this, this show, it was, what were Monday nights like without football? What was on TV? How many times during the week was a sporting event on television in particular? Football and just keeping it at football. How many times was football on during the week? If you look at football season alone today, college and pro, you have games on Monday night, Thursday night, Friday night, all day, Saturday, and on Sunday. Every now and then, you have those special games you may have on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Just ask the Ravens and the Steelers, COVID. What was football like also? What was it like on television early on? Now, just a little bit of a review from an old show. The first televised NFL game was the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Philadelphia Eagles back in 1939. Fast forward to 1951. It was the first broadcast game coast to coast. We're growing. New technology. The NFL championship game in 51 was between the Rams and the Browns. In 58, the NFL championship game, the Baltimore Colts, and the New York Giants, the overtime game, the first NFL uh, overtime game in championship game history, it put the land, uh, the league on the map of popularity, period. But it wasn't over the top, right? Then there was TV deals by both the NFL and their rival league that came in in 1960, the AFL, between 1960 and 1964. They had those broadcasting companies sold up, those same three, ABC, CBS, and NBC. You'll hear that a lot tonight. A lot of alphabetical letters. Just before the 70 merger and, of course, the Super Bowl, Pete Rozelle was pivotal in the NFL's rise to prominence when he took over as commissioner in 1960 after the death of Burt Bell. We talked about it before, how he made so many moves to grow the league that included revenue sharing and, of course, the merger. According to NFL.com's Judy Batista, quote, Roselle was basically a child of the television era. And he first started envisioning playing at least one game a week in prime time during the 1960s when America's Americans spent most of their evenings watching variety shows and game shows and sitcoms and westerns on the few channels available nationwide. You have the shows, anybody remember Bewitched or Andy, the Andy Griffin Show, I Spy, Dick Van Dyke, some of you old heads, y'all know these shows, you grew up with them, uh, Bonanza and Gunsmoke. Then it got me thinking about television in the 50s and the 60s. Not a lot of households had one. How many channels were there? Hands, anybody? Any, anybody, anybody know? Anybody back there? Three. 
three channels and you know the letters abc nbc and cbs that's it now just as an example you know from hearing me rant about it i dropped at&t tv and i've got hulu live because i did not have access to sunday ticket anymore and i did not have any more nfl network they they got me okay so i looked up for just as an example at&t now what direct tv stream if you get the the big package the premiere package is not far from even the lower ones but the premiere package has 140 uh 140 channels 440 bucks of course it's more than that that's a lot of channels a lot of stuff that you're not even watching right i'm so glad i downgraded early on though you have to remember that a lot of things were on the radio and between 1949 and 69 there was a number of households in the u.s that had at least one tv set and that number rose from around what less than a million to up to 44 million by almost 1970 and the same thing happened in the number of commercial tv stations which rose from just 69 to 566 new technology it was growing roselle wanted to take advantage of the 1960s and the key to the nfl's popularity was not just putting it on television but it was when you were putting it on television. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a November 25th, 1965, which was Thanksgiving Day, CBS broadcasted their first NFL game in color. It was the Lions and the Colts. They would also broadcast in color that same season the playoff game between the Colts and the Packers. A week later, the NFL championship game between the Browns and the Packers. And in 1968, all games on CBS were televised in color. NBC, they followed suit with the AFL games. Because remember, they went from ABC to, to NBC. They got more money per team. They needed that, right? $36 million, I believe, was the number. Why is all of this significant? Just keep this in mind. You have a sport that's trying to gain popularity. And would you rather watch television in black and white or in color? I mean, it's not really hard, is it? They didn't even start color television until, what, the mid to late 50s? And by the late 60s and early 70s, nearly all broadcasts went to color TV. More visually pleasing to the eye. So now, not only is pro football on television, now it's in color. So what's the next move? Primetime. So NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle approaches CBS and NBC about having this weeknight primetime game. They basically say... No. All right. Nah, we're good. In 1966 and 1967, by the way, CBS televised a Monday night game. NBC did the same thing for the AFL in 68 and 69. But Roselle wanted this to be a weekly thing. And neither of those networks wanted to do it. Why? 
never realized this never even thought about it but that's why you read you study and you research these two networks had if not the top shows but many of the top shows in america that ran on monday night here's some examples i'm gonna be honest with you there's a couple of these i have no idea about because i didn't grow up in the 60s rowan and martin's laugh-in here's lucy now no i love lucy uh gunsmoke i watched that on saturday mornings as a kid they was doing those reruns a lot and a show called family affair not to mention a monday night movie now you may not know hardly any of these shows some of you do but it didn't sound very smart to put a football game in place of their top rated shows who would do that what what television station would do that what what company would do that football was going was basically gaining steam but it wasn't there yet as far as popularity is concerned also according to the experts of the time they said that women dominate primetime hours during these showtimes which was really important i mean my wife she'll watch football but not like that i mean it's 2021 but there are plenty of women that they love the game there's plenty of them i had a phone call today uh with a customer and trying to find out a new address it's part of my job is to do some research and get some things corrected and we talked about football on the side while she was typing and doing things now as ut fans we both are ut fans and we're trying to figure out this quarterback situation i'll stop right there but there are plenty of women fans that are out there that love the game they absolutely adore the game and as far as the show times you have to consider that if women are the ones who are watching this these things during this time you have to throw that into the pot and have that thing considered abc on the other hand they said basically said let's go we'll do it they were reluctant but they did it now you may ask how come they agreed to it don't they have shows on monday night as well they did and basically they stunk so they had some openings <laughs> we, we got sure we'll try it and they did and they basically stunk now i must it must be understood that before 1970 you may have had one monday night game per year like i said abc didn't want to do it at first and the nfl considered another network which was called the hughes television network or htn which they primarily televised sporting events abc ultimately agreed with the nfl they both agreed to a three-year 18 million dollar contract that ran from 1970 to 1972 traditionally the nfl and afl had two-man broadcast teams that's how it was always done but abc they would hire three and oh yeah by the way they had to be good because this was a big leap that abc was taking and that the nfl was taking so thus monday night football would be born for the start of the first merged season in 1970 lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
I watched an old video by NFL Films that was titled The History of the NFL on Television. And they talked about how Pete Rozelle really understood the key to the NFL's growth, how it depended on fans being able to see their team on TV. Why? Because everybody doesn't go to games. So that's when television packages were put together. And that first initial package was held by CBS, along with that revenue sharing that would boost the league in the 1960s going into the 70s. And when the AFL came along, remember, they had signed a deal with ABC. And the producer at the time was a main man by the name of Rune Allridge. All right. Allridge was an innovative producer. He was responsible for basically the success of ABC's Wild World of Sports. He helped produce AFL games from 1960 to 1963. A lot of innovations. We'll get into that at some point. But the AFL's popularity grew. The rival NFL, though, they would do something that was not so bright. They blacked out home games, which to me is psychotic. Anyone within a 75-mile radius of the home team, they couldn't watch the game. Does that make any sense? I don't understand why they do that. The NFL, ABC, and Aldridge, I said Aldridge, his name is Arledge. Aldridge took advantage, and Sunday afternoon football belonged to them. After the more, after the uh, AFL and NFL merger, Arledge would be the producer for Monday Night Football, and he would rise in the ranks, of course. Now, then there was the broadcast team. So you got the 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 show was in place. Now we have to put together a team. Now I mentioned last segment that both leagues had a history of using two man broadcast teams. What? Brought uh, Monday Night Football. They used three. Enter Howard Cosell, the controversial attorney who was better known for calling Muhammad Ali fights, and he had no play by play experience, nor was he a former athlete or expert commentary at all. He was a guy that you probably wouldn't like very much if you did not know Howard Cosell. Now, keep this in your pocket. I will be doing a show that's focused in on broadcasting, broadcasters in pro football. And this dude, you probably wouldn't like, but he was he was so great at what he did. And he brought out the best and some of the worst, and not just himself, but just those around him, the way that he announced him. He was the perfect guy to start this thing out with. Don Meredith, he was the second guy, the former Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And then there was Keith Jackson. Whoa, Nelly. He's the play-by-play announcer that they hired a vet, whom we basically know more famously for college football. But there were others that were considered outside of Keith Jackson back then. There was Vince, uh, the likes of Vince Scully. I think it was Kurt Gowdy. Also, Frank Gifford. All of whom, though, were locked up in contracts with other networks. We mentioned the innovations that Rune Aldridge was responsible for, right? And this was one of them. The first game shown on ABC was their, with their new team, by the way, was a preseason game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New York Giants on a Friday night. Before the game, Howard Cosell had an interview on the field with Fran Tarkin, who was hurt and wasn't playing anyway. But it was the first sideline interview, and that was when that was born. The significance of this was that NBC and CBS had never been given this type of player access before how about that and then there's the first game well the schedule before it was made cleveland browns owner art modell who was an advertising executive wanted to be able to host the first game now keep this in mind that 
the Cleveland Browns through the 60s, they were uh, the 50s and 60s. They were the team of teams uh, before the Packers came along. And even the little stint where the uh, the Baltimore Colts had won, right? Well, he knew what was on the line here. And knowing advertising and things like that, well, you're putting this thing on prime time in a space where you're needing to gain some popularity, get some eyes on the television, right? Well, he, he wanted to be able to host that first game and he wanted the glamour of New York and he got his wish. On September 21st, 1970, the Cleveland Browns hosted Joe Namath and the New York Jets on the first ever Monday night football game. Now keep this in mind also, it's New York. It's not just New York, but a year, uh, it was actually what, what a year earlier, a year and a half earlier, they had just won the Super Bowl. So <laughs> that there you go. You have a, a guy like Joe Namath on TV, the New York Jets, the New York football market, and then you have the story Cleveland Browns playing. Now, it was a penalty field game, 21 to be exact, a team record 13 by the Jets, by the way. I think they had, what, 145 yards in penalty, something like that. But it was not short on points. The Browns won that game 31 to 21. Monday Night Football from then on has become an institution. And no doubt, this one game every week on primetime television launched the NFL into the stratosphere where it is today. Monday Night Football is the longest running television sports series in history and the second longest running American primetime show only behind 60 minutes. That's right. <laughs> 60 minutes. Now, the best of the worst of Monday Night Football, the players, the teams, the commentators. Now, I'll go to my papers. I went to ESPN press, press Room. Here's the list. You have all of these different sets of commentators. When you think of Monday Night Football, it was really this first team. It was Frank Gifford, who actually took over for Keith Jackson after the first season. In 1970, it was Keith Jackson, Howard Cosell, and Don Meredith. But then for the next couple of years, it was Gifford, Cosell, and Don Meredith. Those were the guys in the 70s for the most part. And in the middle, you had sideline people and people in the booth between Alex Karras, former player, Fred Williamson, another former player, and then they had Fran Tarkenton, O.J. Simpson, Joe Namath even had had a, a year in 1985 after this well after Howard Cosell had left. Dan Theodore, who some people said was too big for the booth. We loved Lynn Swan on the sidelines. I, it surprised me. It's like, oh man, Lynn Swan, that's great. And yeah, still a fan, you know. Uh, Lynn Swan on the sidelines. You had Al Michaels when he in '86 when Al Michaels, Frank Gifford, Dan Deardorff. That was a great team. I love that team. That's the team that I actually grew up with. I never watched a game of Monday Night Football with Howard Cosell being on there. I, I didn't even. I had to watch NFL films for that. So I was used to Al Michaels and Frank Gifford. I remember Dan Deardorff as well, Boomer Esiason, Leslie Visser, um, Eric Deardorff. This was one of the worst ones. Those two years, I loved Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts, because he didn't hold anything back. Dennis Miller, I did not understand that. That, that was a mistake. I loved Tony Kornheiser when they went to ESPN in 2006. I didn't understand that. That was... A mistake. And Kornheiser says it. Those three years that he did it, 
working with Theismann and Ron Jaworski, Susie Culver, Michelle Tafoya. He, he knew it was a mistake. And if I go backwards a little bit, John Madden did it for a couple years, did it for four years in 2002, three, four, and five. I, it, it was cool. Then you had the Mike Tirico era, era with John Gruden. That was really good. I love Jaws. Lisa Salters, she's been a, uh, and Susie Culver, the, uh, but Salters, who's still doing it today as the sideline reporter. This was probably the best since Al Michaels and John Madden or Al Michaels and Frank Gifford with Tariko and Gruden and Jaws. Tariko, Gruden, and Lisa Salters. And look, I have all the respect in the world for the broadcast industry because that's what I studied to become and I will be one day. But uh, I mean, a lot of people didn't, they didn't like Sean McDonough. Okay, he's a college football guy, get it. Joe Tessitore, same thing, college football guy. Jason Witten did not want to be there. I still don't believe he wanted to be there. I liked Booger McFarland. I understand that they didn't like the uh, the, the Booger Mobile. <laughs> I know they didn't like it. I know they didn't like it. But I think that they, they've gotten it right with this team, uh, with Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lou Riddick. Love them, with, along with Lisa Salters. I, 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 I don't have a lot of problems. I'm, I'm not one of those people that's ever been really critical of broadcast teams it was just the dennis miller thing it just didn't feel like he belonged just that's just and i i think they knew that i think they knew that that there also have been some there's been some shocking moments and there have been some sad moments on monday night football howard cosell announcing live that john linton linton uh john lennon excuse me can't get it out had been murdered killed in uh, outside of his apartment in new york and what i did not know I did read in one place that they were the, actually the first broadcast to announce his burner, but then also at the beginning of the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, I believe it was, uh, that the, I read in another place that they actually beat Cosell by a couple of minutes. Uh, I mean, all right, tomato, tomato. But it, it, was, it was a shocking moment, a sad moment, announced on Monday Night Football. Fast forward to 1985, that was in 80. Lawrence Taylor, he snapped Joe Theismann's leg like a twig, a compound fracture. It was not pretty and ended Theismann's career. That was, I have a problem watching that even today if it comes on. Then there's the Miami Dolphins. That same year, they beat the 85 Bears who came in undefeated at 12-0. And it was fitting because they were trying to protect their 72 Dolphins team from, you know, because they were the only undefeated team in NFL history, right? Well, they did. They beat them on Monday Night Football, though the Bears went on. To win the Super Bowl, it was their only loss of the season. Going back to the first season, I, I don't know how true this is. I really don't. This is the first time I ever seen this. In 1970, Howard Corsell was supposed to be sloppy drunk during a broadcast between the Giants and Eagles in Philly. He puked on Meredith's cowboy boots. <laughs> I, I it's first I heard of it. I was first I heard of it. Um, a moment that I personally remember watching my favorite team at the time. And my favorite player, the San Francisco 49ers and Jerry Rice. Rice breaking Jim Brown's touchdown record back in 1994. There have been a host of celebrities and entertainers and even a politician or two that have been in the Monday Night Football booth. Recognizable faces. Names such as Burt Reynolds or Kermit, Kermit D. Fong, uh, Bill Clinton. And how about John Lennon and Ronald Reagan, who at the time in 1974 was a California uh, governor. They were both in the booth at the 
at the same time in the December game in 74. Fast forward back to 2006, Monday Night Football moved from ABC to ESPN. That year alone, it seemed like they had a celebrity every week from Arnold Schwarzenegger, Samuel L. Jackson, Eva Longoria, Jamie Foxx, just to name a few. And that was also the same year the Saints played in the Superdome for the first time since Hurricane Katrina. I can go on and on. Brett Favre's performance after his father's death. The Monday Night Miracle in 2000 with Vinny Testaverde brings the Jets back from being down 30-7 against the Miami Dolphins. Bo Jackson trucking Brian Bosworth basically out of the league. The iconic music. Dun, 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 dun. You know? <laughs> Everybody should know it. It's called Heavy Action. Composer Johnny Pearson. I love it. I have NFL Films music on my phone. And I always have. I always will. But I can't think of too many people that wouldn't know it when they hear it. They don't have to really be a football fan. Now, I understand we have Thursday night football. And people really love Sunday night football. You know, Carrie Underwood. You know, I mean, I live for all football. But... Monday Night Football started it all. It started all of this. And all thanks to Pete Rozelle. And to end this show, to quote Joe Brown, the NFL's former public relations executive, he, he did work with Pete Rozelle. Quote, he understood the power of television and the promotional value of television better than anyone. He was definitely spot on. And the league reached astronomical heights after signing those television deals and moving up to prime time all right that's the show references we thank monday night football at 50 iconic broadcast has shaped the nfl nfl.com columnist judy batista retrowaste.com the best sports blog.com history of football on television by kevin caruso livinghistoryfarm.org complex.com the 25 most memorable moments in Monday Night Football history by Raphael Canton. Very fitting last name, by the way. The creation of Monday Night Football on ABC, 1970. How Monday Night Football almost never happened. This all by YouTuber Official Jaguar Gator 9. That's a name. That's a mouthful. The history of the NFL on television by NFL Films. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Billy Up Sports, the Billy Up Sports Podcast Network. BillyUpSports.com. Catch my show and others on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Listen to my show or I will find your house out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 